Welcome to the weekly podcast channel for the Wilmington Church of Christ. We hope that this channel inspires and encourages you to take the gospel to all people, transforms hearts to be like Christ, and trains disciples to make disciples. For more information about our church, please go to wcconline.org. Enjoy the message. I love how Revelation helps us with our imagination on what heaven is going to be like because it describes exactly kind of how that song lays it out. Are we going to be dancing? Are we going to fall flat on our face in worship? Will we fall down and be totally still? Or will we just give him praise and honor? And the answer is yes, from Revelation, those things happen. We've been through 14 chapters of Revelation. We have seven more to go after today. We're going to study chapters 15 and 16 in Revelation today. If you want to open up your Bibles to Revelation 15 and 16. At home, we are trying out our live stream today. So you're part of the test uh, congregation for our study of Revelation in 15 and 16. And we have people here in the building uh, testing out Revelation chapter 15 and 16 too. I hope it works okay. Um, But we want to see in chapters 15 and 16, four major points. Uh, Every chapter in Revelation has allusions to the Old Testament, and we can go on a seemingly thousands of different tangents for each chapter of Revelation. Out of the 404 verses in Revelation, I have seen somewhere between 500 and 520 allusions to the Old Testament. One author I read the other day said he found 626 allusions to the Old Testament in 404 verses. So you can go down a lot of rabbit trails, a lot of road. You can take every verse and kind of break it down. But I want to point out four things in chapter 15 and 16 that we need to see today and meditate on. So if you're taking notes, you write down these four words. And here are the words, victory, fear, compassion, and endurance. We want to notice four subjects that we can meditate on, four motivations that we can meditate on from chapters 15 and 16, victory, fear, compassion, and endurance. So let's start and look at that first point from chapter 15, and we'll read chapter 15, and then I want us to notice the motivation of victory found here. Here's here's John speaking, chapter 15, verse 1. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, Seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last, because with them, God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire. And standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked and I saw in heaven the temple that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels was completed." First, and this isn't a very long point, we need to see the victory 
here in chapter 15. We see God's people singing the song of Moses and the Lamb. In chapter 15 of Exodus, Moses and all the Israelites have just come out of slavery in Egypt. God had sent the plagues on Egypt to try to get Pharaoh to repent. He had uh, taken them to the Red Sea where he parted it and allowed them to cross on dry land. He destroyed the Egyptian army behind them, and he has set them up to go into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And it's only after they see the deeds of God and these marvelous plagues and these marvelous hand of God moving that they sing their song of victory. But here in Revelation chapter 15, the saints are singing the song before we see the marvelous deeds in chapter 16 of what God is going to do. Why did John make that switch? If Moses was singing the song of victory after, and the Israelites were singing the song of victory after, why did John make the switch to sing the song before the deeds happen? And I'll tell you, and this is where we find victory. It's because Jesus Christ won the victory for us on Calvary. When Jesus Christ died and rose again, that is our victory. We continually celebrate and sing the song of Moses and of the Lamb because we've already won the battle. God won 2,000 years ago with Jesus Christ dying and rising from the dead. In the first century, when John was giving this revelation to those first century Christians, they had already won the battle and they needed to hear it as they were going through oppression and problems and the circumstances of their world seemed like they were falling in on them. And of all the battles they were going through, they needed to hear the victory has already been won. We won the whole world, the whole war when Christ died and rose again. And we live in this constant knowledge that Jesus has set us free from sin. He has defeated our enemy, Satan. He is giving us a right relationship with God. He has declared us righteous. He gives us empowerment with the Holy Spirit. And he allows us not only to face death with courage, but all of our circumstances with courage because we have victory. And the victors in this opening section are standing either on top of or beside the sea. Just like the God led the Israelites away from the Egyptians through the sea, the victors in Christ are now standing on or beside the sea in Revelation. In Revelation, the sea is a symbol of chaos and evil. And here we have God leading us through chaos and evil, continually giving us victory. We have won. So even if your circumstances don't feel like you're winning, we get to know that we have won because of what Christ has done. And this leads us to our second point, but uh, three of the points today are for Christians, and one point is for non-Christians. This is a point for you if you are not a Christ follower, or if you're a Christ follower and you've been backsliding, moving away from the faith, you need to hear this and see this from Revelation chapter 15, and you need to hear the motivation of fear. Fear is our second point found in chapter 15. Now, chapter 15, we've already been taken in Revelation to the end of the world several times. At the end of chapter 6, the end of the world has happened. They ask this question, who can stand? And chapter 7 tells us the, uh, the saints that are in heaven, they stood victoriously because they were committed to following Christ. At the end of chapter 11, at the end of chapter 14, we reach the conclusion and the end of the world again and again. John is recapitulating. He's telling the same story over from a different perspective with a different purpose. And here we've passed up 
the beast coming out of that chaotic, evil sea. We've seen the image of the beast speak, and it can be scary. We've even heard about the number 666, which always seems to frighten Christians wherever we are. But that is not as scary as the verses found in chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, and verse 8. This is the scariest thing written in all of Revelation and maybe in the entire Bible. Let me read why we should fear and, if you're a Christian, should have compassion, points two and three, but we're going to focus on the fear. Let me read why we should be afraid. Verses one, two, and eight. Here's what it says. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire. Skip over to verse 8. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. As I mentioned before, in Revelation, the sea of glass represents chaos and evil. In chapter 4 of Revelation, in the throne room of God, before the throne is the sea of glass, and it is perfectly calm and still, so still that you can see through it like glass, telling us that even chaos and evil in God's presence, it is under his control completely. We have nothing to fear from it. In chapter 13, the beast comes out of that sea, and it scares everybody to, to death. But here in chapter 15, the sea, the chaos and evil is on fire. God's judgment has been applied to chaos and evil. In the Old Testament, here's the other illusion we need to see. In the Old Testament, when smoke of God's presence, of God's glory filled the temple, no workers were allowed to go into the temple. And here in the heavenly temple, God's presence has filled the temple, the smoke has filled the temple, and no one is allowed to go into the temple anymore. And these, two, two, uh, these three verses with the two points combined, the judgment on chaos and evil and smoke in the temple should scare the devil out of you if you are not right with Christ. And here's why. There can be, at this point in history, there can be no more redemption or asking for salvation. This is a future event John is describing. This is a future vision Jesus is showing him. It's going to happen when God's patience does finally end and he applies the judgment and his wrath on all chaos and evil and sin. And when that moment happens, there is no more second chances. There are no more do-overs. There's no more opportunity for salvation. Everywhere else in the Bible, as long as it is today, you should turn to Christ. It's an urgent call. Today, if you're hearing the call of Jesus, you should turn to him. You should turn back to him. If you are far from him, you should seek him out. Because when it ends for you, whether you die before Jesus comes back or Jesus comes back in the next 10 minutes or tomorrow, there is no more second chances when that happens. That is when God's judgment is applied. The temple is filled with smoke and there will be no more someone begging for your life, someone praying for you to change, somebody offering you a chance of redemption or salvation. This is why we should find it scary or fearful if we are not right for God. Don't wait any longer. Do not delay. Every time you delay turning to Christ, it becomes more and more difficult to give your life to Him. Every time you, you 
push and resist Christ away, it becomes more difficult to entrust your life to him. If you're a Christ follower and you've started down a path that leads you away from Christ, the longer you stay on that path, it becomes more and more difficult to turn back, do it today, repent and turn to Jesus before chapter 15 and chapter 16 take place. Invariably, somebody will ask me, whether it's a non-Christian friend of mine or a Christian friend of mine, they'll ask me a question like this. They'll say something like, well, why does God have to even apply wrath? How could a good and loving God apply judgment on anybody? God has promised that he will make all the evil things that have done and all the evil that has been committed and all the atrocities that have happened, he has promised he's going to make it right. This is justice. And we want a God that provides justice. We just also want a God who's merciful. And that's the God we find in Christianity. God is going to make every evil thing that has happened, he's going to turn it right by providing justice. And there's a lot of evil in the world. We're seeing it right now. Every time there is a murder, that is evil. Anytime there's racism, that is evil evil. Anytime someone starves to death because they of lack of food, that is evil that is in our world. Even our diseases and cancer has been caused by evil that has entered the world and broken the world. The earth and all of its people need redemption. The earth is crying out to be saved. And God promises he is going to provide justice and make things right. Anyone who commits evil are going to get the exact punishment they deserve. The punishment will fit the crime perfectly. And then someone asked me, well, why can't God give them a second chance, a do-over? And the answer is he has. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he willingly took on your punishment for the crime you committed and applied it to himself. He was perfect. He had lived through every temptation that we had been in, and yet he did not sin. So he knows what you're going through, and then he provided redemption and salvation if you're willing to take it. And the call is urgent. Because once you deny Christ, when this happens, when the judgment of chapter 15 and 16 happens, it can't happen anymore. There are no more opportunities. And the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In the seals, in chapter 6 and 7, we saw that bad things happen and even Christians face death. But John gives us a clue that there's still time for repentance when he says one-fourth of the world was destroyed. And then with the trumpets, this warning sound, this call to repentance, there's a number, one-third that is in there that tells us there's still time left. But when we come to the bowls of wrath, there are no more numbers. It is complete. The whole earth is destroyed. All creation is judged. Every person is judged. There is no more time for do-overs or second chances. These symbolic numbers reveal to us how philosophies and religion think about time. Uh, Some philosophies and religions think time is in a cycle and it happens over and over again. And some philosophies and religions believe there's a beginning and a definite end date. And in Revelation, we see the themes repeated in cycles throughout history, but there is a beginning and an end date where God has established and already already foreseen where he will bring about the end judgment for all creation and give us redemption in the new heaven and the new earth. And in 15, Jesus reveals the end has come and there will be no more delay. Let me stay here just a moment longer 
And dear friend, if you are not in Christ, would you look at chapter 16, what the just punishments that are coming look like? And would you have a holy fear come over you that would allow you to turn to Christ? Chapter 16, verse 2, the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land and ugly festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned to blood like that of a dead person and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water and they became blood. Skip down to verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and, it cur- and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. In 16, we see that Jesus, that God is going to give the exact punishment for the crime, the exact right and true judgment that evil deserves. You take the mark of the beast on your hand and on your forehead, then God's going to apply sores all over your body. You, per, you, the, perfect, the punishment perfectly matches the crime. You reject God and curse his name, and you begin to feel the intense heat of the fires of hell in Revelation 16, 8, and 9. Both Chapter 15 and chapter 16 mention that God's judgments are just and right. He knows the hearts of men. He has seen every intention of our thoughts, every word we have spoken, and every action we have taken or not taken. Chapter 15 verse 3 says, Just and true are your ways, king of the nations. And chapter 16 verse 5 through 6 says, You are just in these judgments, O Holy One. You who are and who were, For they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. You shed blood, you get blood as your punishment. They are just. And here's another example that this is the end and there's no more chance for another do-over. Everywhere in Revelation where Jesus is called the one who was and the one who is and the one who is to come, but here in chapter 16, it is God who is and who was. There is no more is to come because he has arrived and he's applying the judgment. And John repeats in back to back in these bowls of wrath, the people here refuse to repent and they refuse to turn back to God. This is such a dangerous place to be. And this is why Christians need to have, and this is point three, need to have compassion Because the judgment of God is coming and it will be final, we need to have compassion to continue to witness to those who are lost without Christ. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 23 or Luke 19 when Jesus is making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem? He's riding the donkey. People have gathered around. They're singing him praises. They're raising their hands, shouting Hosanna. They're laying palm branches on the ground in front of them. They're taking off their cloaks, throwing them on the ground and saying, Hosanna, praise God. The King of David has come back and they're giving Jesus praise. What was Jesus doing there? Do you remember? Jesus, as he was riding in Jerusalem, was weeping and wailing over the destruction that was going to come and for the people who would not entrust themselves to him. And he says, 
how I have longed to gather you under my arms like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you have refused. Here with the seals and the trumpets and the plagues of the bowls of wrath, people are still not repenting and turning to God. When destruction and circumstances fall all around us, oftentimes people don't see this as a clear warning that God is saying the end is coming, be ready. That's why we have to have compassion. The same compassion Jesus has as he rode into Jerusalem. Compassion for the lost. My brothers and sisters in Christ, this needs to be a wake-up call. Chapter 15 and 16 needs to be a wake-up call for us to be on mission to reach the lost with the gospel. We all have friends and family. I know you have friends and family and co-workers who have never heard about Jesus Christ and have not committed their lives to Jesus Christ. I have friends and family who have not committed their life to Jesus Christ. We have to tell them at least one more time while today is still today, that they need Jesus. And we get to tell them and pray for them. We get to tell them about the love that Jesus offers, the peace that Jesus offers, the forgiveness that Jesus offers. We get to give them hope that only Jesus can give them. Would you pray and ask God to give you a heart like that of Jesus, the same compassion Jesus had over all humanity? Would you ask God to open your eyes to who the lost are? This is the, the best time in history to know who is lost and hurting. Usually people don't let you know if they're battling depression or if they're battling pain or if they need hope. But right now in our nation, in the United States, people have like a glowing neon sign blinking, I need help. I am in pain. I am hurting. This is our opportunity, brothers and sisters in Jesus, to go be Jesus to them, to be the salt that preserves them for heaven, to be the light that shines in the darkness. Light shines best when the darkest times are applied. And this is dark times. White people and black people are feeling real pain and real fear. And you don't have to disagree or agree with why they're feeling pain. You just have to know they're feeling pain and go offer them the love and peace and hope and forgiveness that only Jesus offers. This is our chance to shine, and Jesus Christ is telling us to do so in chapters 15 and 16 because when chapters 15 and 16 enter into history, it's over. There won't be another chance. James Montgomery Boyce, a preacher from several years ago, told this story about a missionary to Muslims in Tunis, North Africa. She went there to teach English as a second language, and as she taught English, she would teach her students the gospel of Jesus Christ. She had one boy in particular who would come every week to learn English, and as he grew in English, he continually but respectfully rejected her and her gospel. And it came time for this young man to go to university, and they would no longer meet in class for English. And at their last session together, they had a cup, of tea, a cup of tea. They said thank you and their goodbyes. And she offered one more time, held out the truth of the peace and love and hope, the forgiveness that only Jesus offers. And he once again respectfully declined. He said his goodbyes. He exited her door, went down through her garden, and got to the gate that led out of her property. And he turned around to wave one last time. And there she was in the doorway, crying, tears down her face, weeping for this young man. 
And it was her tears that melted his heart of resistance. It was her compassion for his soul that made him come back through the garden and to her door and ask, what do I need to do to be saved in Jesus Christ? We need to have the same compassion, tears weeping for the loss that Jesus had. Because once 15 and 16 of Revelation happened, there is no more second chance for our friends and family, the people of this world, to turn to Christ. And finally, the final point from these two chapters I want us to meditate on, motivation of endurance. We need to be prepared for the second coming of Christ. And then here's the interlude that happens. In between the seal number six and seal number seven, there was an interlude that told us what we need to think and know and take action on. At the end of chapter six, there's this question asked, who can stand under God's wrath? And chapter seven is the answer. Those who are in Christ will have victory and be able to stand. And then we get the seventh seal, which opens up seven trumpets. And between trumpet number six and trumpet number seven, there's an interlude. And this time there's two chapters. And there's a question asked, uh, kind of implied, why won't people repent even though things are going bad? These clear warning signs from God. And the interlude this time is two chapters long, and it says, here's what you should do, Christian. You should witness for Jesus Christ, even if it means you're going to face death, because don't forget, you'll stand victoriously even if you physically die. And here, between bowl number six and bowl number seven, is an interlude that tells us what we should be doing And it is to have endurance, faithful endurance, all the way till the end. Here's what chapter 16, verse 15 says. This is the interlude. Look, behold, I come like a thief. This is Jesus speaking. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Revelation has already used symbols of being asleep or awake as whether Christians are remaining faithful to their call. And the the clothes mentioned in Revelation, whether they're on the person or off the person, or whether they're soiled, is a symbol of whether Christians have shamefully compromised their faith. And this is the perfect place for Jesus to put his reminder to endure. Because in 12 through 16, you can get distracted or fearful or even compromise your faith if you're not careful. Here's what verse 12 says. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs that came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And they are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for battle on the great day of God Almighty. Verse 16, then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. This would be a good, this is a trouble if it distracts you. Armageddon. In Hebrew, the term har means mountain. Har-mageddon or har-mageddo. It means the mountain of Mageddon. I think it's even scarier to say it like this. Mount Megiddo, Armageddon. There's no place in Scripture mentioned as Mount Megiddo and there's no place in the world where there's a mountain called Megiddo. 
So this would be a good time to point out that there are phrases and words that we've always associated with Revelation that are not actually found in Revelation. Nowhere in Revelation will you find these words and phrases, and it might surprise you. This is what's not there. The word antichrist is not found in Revelation. The word rapture is not found in Revelation. Millennium is not found in Revelation. Premillennial, postmillennial, pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, second coming, last days, end times, final battle, those words and phrases are not found in Revelation. So some of us might have associated those words with Revelation and gotten distracted from the message Revelation is trying to teach. And here, there is so much going on in the world when this final judgment is getting ready to take place that we can be distracted from the purpose of our calling. And Armageddon is one of those words. Don't be distracted by the word Armageddon. Michael Wilcox in his commentary on Revelation puts it like this, quote, things are bad enough when the beast's kingdom works properly. When its machinery runs amok, though, they are infinitely worse. Bowl six is the next and last stage of divine punishment. And in it, the purposes of God and Satan in a weird way converge. Satan, having seen his perversion of human society confounded, says, if I can no longer pervert, I will destroy. And he and the beast and the false prophet inspire the kings of the earth, no longer able to maintain the inconsistent balance they call peace, to a frenzy of mutual slaughter. Armaments multiply, armies march, men die, and they all line up for battle, end quote. But really, they've lined up for their execution. Look at what, how 16 leads into verse 17. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it's done. There is no final battle. It's over. Why? Because we won the battle. We won victory with Christ on the cross. It's already over. Just like in World War II, when, when D-Day happened, the Allied forces won a resounding battle that accomplished and basically ended the war. But they weren't allowed to declare victory till almost a year later. V-Day happened later after D-Day. There were mop-up operations that had to take place, but the war was over. Our battle against Satan and the beast and the enemies of this world, the spiritual battle that we endure is over defeated, we won through Christ on the cross. It's already happened. But in the meantime, we have mop-up battles to take care of and circumstances around us need the prayer and the faithful witness of Christ's followers. So when it seems like Satan is winning and when it seems like death and destruction are all around us, when it seems like there's only division and fighting and everybody taking sides and nobody will listen to anybody else, don't get distracted. We need the words of Jesus right here, right now. Behold, I come like a thief when you least expect it. So you will be blessed if you stay awake and remain clothed so not to be naked and shamefully exposed. Behold, Jesus is going to come like when we least expect it. So be alert and prepared. Don't be distracted by the literal hell breaking out on earth, but instead be constantly looking for the Lord's return. 
Because when he comes back, there's no more do-overs. There's no more second chance. When Jesus returns, it is judgment for both the living and the dead. We needed that reminder. We need that reminder right now because our world can be a distraction to us and our circumstances can be a distraction to us. I love how Jesus gives us a weekly reminder not to be distracted in communion. If you're home right now, would you take out your communion, your bread and your juice, and prepare yourself for the reminder that Jesus gives us not to be distracted. And here in the room, would you take out your communion and get your bread ready for our time where we celebrate the victory of Jesus Christ? Communion is one of the ways we sing the victory song of Moses and the Lamb. Remember, they sang the song before the final deeds and final acts of God come because our victory has been won in Christ. And today, as we participate in the bread and the cup, we are singing the song of Moses and the Lamb, declaring victory, Jesus' death, until he comes again. Would you eat the bread and participate in the body of Christ and remind yourself that you have victory in the Lamb? And would you take your cup, participating in the body and blood of Christ, would you participate in the cup and remind yourself that your sins are covered, victory in the Lamb, that you have been declared righteous, victory in the Lamb, that you have been united to God and to Christ through that death and resurrection. Would you take the cup now? Victory. We've already won. And we need that weekly reminder to stay true in our faith, to be committed in endurance, faithfully enduring until Jesus comes back, compassion for the lost until Jesus comes back, and declaring victory, singing the song until Jesus comes back. In conclusion today, if you want to give your life to Christ, would you, if you want to have that victory and be able to sing that song with other Christians, would you let people know would you make your declaration and your commitment to Christ, your desire for Him public? If you're online, would you write that in on one of the chat rooms or send us an email so we can help you take your very best next step to commit your life to Christ? And if you're here in the room and you want to take that next step in Christ, you want to continue on in the celebration of victory, even in your circumstances now, come find me right after we finish worship and we'll have you take your best next step so that you too can have victory in the Lamb. That's all we have for today. I'm going to close us with prayer and then we'll be dismissed from this place. And I don't know if you're going anywhere at home, but we are so looking forward to regathering on June 21st, next Sunday. And if you're available to come and be with us in the building, we want to celebrate the victory of Jesus with you too. We're looking forward to worshiping together again. Let me close us with prayer and then we'll be dismissed. God, we thank you so much for the reminder you give us that you are coming soon so that we should remain faithful. Thank you for the reminder of communion, that we have victory in your death and resurrection, and we get to celebrate that and live that out each day. Would you give us that heart of compassion to reach the lost as we sing our victory song? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If this message has inspired you or encouraged you, we would love if you shared it with a friend. To help support ministries like this one, go to wcconline.org slash donate.